Okay, thanks everybody. So I had a, I had an interesting conversation with uh, somebody last week, right after the the study. So I'm I'm going to back up because I thought it was uh, the guy who I spoke to. It was it was Brian. He raised some really good questions, and um, because he brought up the idea, and uh, well, speaking of the devil. Hi there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, I told everybody, we got some, you got to get some red licorice. But anyway, I told everybody, yeah, I told everybody that if I have time, we're going to go back to prophecy tonight, and it's going to be your fault. But I gave a lot of what you had to say last week uh, more thought. But I don't know if we're going to have time to cover it tonight. So maybe next week. Okay, so backing up. Uh, the conversation that, that we, we had is the observation that you, you look at the, these lists of spiritual gifts, and um, not only here in Romans, but also in 1 Corinthians, and also even in the ones in, in Ephesians to a degree. And it could be argued that some of these things are just natural inclinations that certain people have. Does that make sense? Did you think about that at all? Yes. yes. Okay. So they're just... The, the, because I've known Christians that are very merciful. I'm kind of merciful, right? I guess that... Okay, maybe not. Um. Yeah, which I, I know, well, you bring that up, the, the gift of giving, which is a spiritual gift. I know, I've known of non-Christians who give a whole lot more. Of course, they also have a whole lot more to give, right? Um, and I think, I think uh, what's the name? Gates was brought up. Um, Bill Gates. And uh, the... the just having this this bent toward giving or this bent toward mercy or this even some people have this bent toward discernment, although discerning of spirits and just discernment, they're not always the same thing. And, um, but some people just seem to be naturally wired for this. So what we're, I want to look at tonight, so I'm backing up, um, spiritual gifts versus natural abilities spiritual gifts versus natural abilities we're going to try yeah okay yeah yeah and and i mean i've known a few christians they wouldn't part with a penny you know, I mean, um, but could we just say, could the unbeliever say, could someone come and challenge you and say, these are just natural attributes of people? Holy Spirit may not have anything to do with it. 
I've seen certain churches that I look at and I'm thinking, I don't know that God really has his hands on this one. But boy, they sure are raising a ruckus. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. It could be. Or maybe they just, I'm being devil's advocate here now. Maybe they just learn to be nice. Learn to be Christian. Right? I talked about it a little bit on Sunday, didn't I? You know, do we do things, uh, you know, love without hypocrisy. Do we do things because of who we are or do we do them because this is what we are supposed to do as Christians? So I, I thought it was really interesting, and he didn't really have any answers, and I didn't really have any answers, and, and, but I thought it was, I, I gave a lot of thought to it. Um, and so I started doing some digging, and I, I, I don't always mention them a lot, but I re- and sometimes I go through periods of time where I don't read them much, but I really like the early fathers, the, the early church, the first and second and third century uh, leaders who wrote um, and whose writings we still have today. Many of them were saved out of a Hellenistic culture, and many of them were philosophers. So they understood this idea of reasoning and, and the this, this uh, necessity to try to make some sense out of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. Justin Martyr uh, was an example of that. Um, second century. Irenaeus, or some people pronounce his name, Ar- see if I can mispronounce it. Uh, some people pronounce his name Irenaeus, but I think it's Irenaeus. But anyway, um, second century, he was really a, he wrote from the, the standpoint of a pastor. But he recognized that he was in a culture that was completely in opposition to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, they would see someone operating in the spiritual gifts that would say, well, of course, this is just who this person is. That's, that's why I'm tying this in, right? So Irenaeus really... In his writings, he really underscored the importance of faith. That faith is the starting point. And he even wrote in, in one of his writings, he said, faith is necessary for understanding. In fact, the, the, uh, the Orthodox Church is, is fairly big on this. And actually, Augustine delved into this thinking, this, this concept of I believe so that I might understand. I believe so that I might understand. Now, have you ever had a situation like that in your own life? Yeah. When I got saved, that was the situation. I was eight years old. What do I understand about, the, about substitutionary atonement? You know, nothing. 
What do I understand about free will or, or the sovereignty of God or, or predestination? Never heard the word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they would, they, uh, a lot, unfortunately, they, they don't teach it. Um, but nonetheless, the, the best gospel, I've said this to you guys before, I think the best gospel message is Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, what does the Bible tell me? Well, I don't know, right? I'm eight, okay? Although I went to church. I had, well, I started, some of you don't realize this, but I've never really shared this, but it was around three years, three years of age, I realized I had a drug problem at three years of age. Um, because at three years of age on Sunday mornings, I was drugged to church. And on su- Wednesday nights, I was drugged to church. And so therefore, I had a, you know, I had a drug problem, right? But anyway, I'd heard the stories, but you know, what they don't teach you. Of course, you can't absorb these things. So that I believe that I might understand. I have faith and I have trust so that I might understand. And, and so what I'm kind of unpacking here, and I'm not going to go full bore into this, although, gosh, we're already, already 10 till 8 or 7. Anyway, um, it's important to know why we know what we know. And for the early fathers, who many of them were philosophers, they no longer believed anything strictly due to reason. By the way, in the Greek, what word is also translated, what Greek word is translated from the English word reason back into Greek? Logos. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning was the logos, and the word, the logos was with God, and the logos was God. So Paul, excuse me, John is speaking to a Greek culture in John 1, verse 1. They understood truth through reasoning, through deduction, through dialogue. And that's how they came to the truth. And, and it, I, without taking the time to turn there, in the book of Acts, you have this story of Paul on Mars Hill. Or in some of your translations, it will say the Areopagus. When it was the place where they would sit around and they would talk about what was new. But it was, it was, a, it was this back and forth of philosophy adding concept onto concept onto concept onto concept. So Irenaeus, Justin before him, but actually Irenaeus kind of really took the lead on this. And he said, our worldview... Our understanding of truth, our ability to determine spiritual gifts from natural abilities is no longer based on reason, but the foundation of that is faith. And he he really had a lot to write about, or I should say had a lot to say about this monumental shift from a secular worldview to a Christian worldview, which began with simply trusting in 
Christ. Now, for his verse that he used that from, he went back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. So uh, we're not going to turn there because I'm just going to read it to you out of the Septuagint, or at least part of it. And it's different in the English Bible, which, or our Bible, because that's translated from the Masoretic text. But the text that they worked with at the time of Jesus and for the first few centuries following were, was the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament, all right? And so Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you do not trust other translations, because I found out there are, other, there are more than one Septuagint translations into English also, by the way. Would that not make sense with all the translations we have, right? But um, one of the, one of, let me fix this. So one of the translations into English says, if you do not trust, neither will you understand. Now, in the New King James, it says, if you do not believe, neither will you stand. All right? But in the Septuagint, it says, if you do not believe or if you do not trust, neither will you understand. Uh, one of the older, and I almost called you, Ken, to bring your Septuagint tonight. You could have read it for us. But I, one, of the, one of the older um, English translations back in the 1800s says, but if ye believe not, that sounds very King James, doesn't it? But if ye believe not, Will ye at all understand? Question. So it's underscoring, and, and, and see, Irenaeus and others took that concept and they ran with it. Because what you have in Isaiah chapter 7 is this collision of two worldviews. You have a king Ahab who wants to operate according to the ways of the world and seek the protection against uh, the Assyrians with the Egyptians, and you have the prophet calling him to walk in faith. So, um, my thought on this, and my answer to him if he was here, would be that while we cannot definitively describe, or let's say definitively pinpoint or perhaps we don't always recognize when something is a spiritual gift because if, if it is a spiritual gift, it's what? It is the result of God's grace. The word charisma, right? The result of God's grace. So if something is a spiritual gift, it's the result of God's grace. Uh, and, and I look at it this way, and your mileage may vary on this. I see it as the Spirit of God breathing into the life of a person differently than the inspiration of scripture which means god breathe but the spirit of god enabling someone to do what they're doing rather than someone who just naturally is bent to do something now because i don't think we can always fully differentiate between someone who has a natural gift and someone who has a spiritual gift, sometimes they're one and the same. Some of your natural inclinations, some of your natural giftings could really be a part of what the Spirit of God has already implanted into you and wants to develop and wants to fan that into a flame. 
And so, while I don't always know what something is, I know what it looks like. Right? I know what it looks like because I've been in the faith for a very long time. And, and so, I default to the faith that I have in Christ, the faith that I have in him teaching me his word and instructing me and showing me what it really means to walk in truth. Paul's, is it Paul uh, yeah, talked about no greater joy. It was John, John, right? No greater joy than my, than my children walk in truth. And to always go back to my interpretive lens of situations, of current events, of day-to-day living based on my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I haven't heard any because... I'm not in those circles anymore, but I bet you there's some people who are having a field day over Ukraine right now. And, and you know, I, I want to I keep it simple, at least for me. You can make it as complex as you need it, all right? But I want to keep it simple and, and just to trust that God has his hand upon his church there. And actually... I'll muddy the waters a little bit. I think God has his hand on the, on the church in Russia. And there are several expressions of the church in Russia. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Stalin, millions of Christians he put to death during his reign of terror. Um, millions of them. And... Uh, How do I make sense of that? I have to go back to my faith. I have to go back to the calling we have on our lives of the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and just entrust the rest of that to God. So I would say when you, when you look at these things, now I, I pray that God, when something smells fishy, it usually means it is, all right? If something doesn't seem right, something doesn't feel right, something doesn't smell right, it's usually an indication that it's not. And I also know that with some church groups, there is a mixture. I'm, I'm dying to get into this prophecy thing, but I've got some other things I want to cover first. But, but there, is, there is a mixture. Um, and Jeremiah said that if you can separate the precious from the vile, then you can stand before me. If you can separate the precious from the vile. Well, how do I do that? How do you separate the precious from the vile? Anybody. Maybe nobody does. I do. I hope. Discernment comes to mind. Okay. Sometimes the red flags. Yeah, some, and you know, just because I tell you I have discernment doesn't mean I do, you know, 
gosh, I'm dying to jump in this prophecy thing. But anyway. Um, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Right. Right. How does the Holy Spirit lay something on your heart? can. Sometimes he does. I've had situations where I've talked to folks, or even standing right here, I shouldn't tell you this, that it's almost like force-fed to me word at a time. Because it was like, there's something there, i got to share it, I don't know what it is, but it's like, all of a sudden it just starts coming out of my mouth. So he can bring scripture to your mind. Right. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about being, being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I was thinking of, thanks for that, Jeff. Um, what I was thinking of is, um, and it was a friend of mine's, his wife really put it clearly to me one time. They, they had, um, we'd actually both left the same church because it was toxic. But anyway, um, they had gone to another church, and one of the things she noticed that there was this mindset of this is what we want to do, this is what we feel led to do, so God bless it. God, will you bless it? We should do this. Bless this, God. And which was really in opposition to a mindset that says, God, what do you want to do? God, what are we called to do? You know, and... You know, I know that some, I don't like everything he had to say, but John Wimber, you know, uh, founder of the Vineyard, um, he, he, he had some really, to me, profound sayings, and one of them was, don't ask God to bless what you're going to do. Find out what God wants to do, and then bless that. And to me, that's, the more I, I I'll let you think about it. How's that? Um, Yeah, and if you step ahead of God, he might run you over. Exactly. I mean, it's possible. So, so these are the things that, you know, I had a communication with an old friend. And um, he's back in the region where he used to live, where he was actually pastoring before he got ran out of town, essentially. And, but that was years ago, and he's always talking about getting prepared, getting prepared, getting prepared, getting prepared, and I get so sick of hearing it, getting prepared, and I finally just said to him, if you feel God's calling you to do something, go out and do it. You know, you're not a rookie, and you're probably in, you know, now, he's got some thinking and ideas and theology that I wouldn't give you a nickel for, and some of you might love him, but anyway, um, Nonetheless, I know that God can use that, particularly in the setting that he is in. And so I'm like, I'm wanting to, even though there are certain things that we would disagree on, but 
They are, you, I see that look on your face. They are non-essential things. There are things that you can't really prove either way, at least in my opinion. He thinks he can, but that's okay. Um, but wanting to encourage him to get out there and get after it and go, go, go forward for the kingdom of God. And so when I see that with gifts, and I've heard him teach, and he's, he's all right, you know. Um, it'll work. And it, it, God can use it. I mean, did God use Balaam's? I got to go. I want to go King James, but I won't. Did God use Balaam's donkey? Yes, He did. And He's been speaking through asses ever since. He really has. So <laughs> it's in the King. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's King James. All right. So um, that was the word he used. Anyway, so. So I went back on this. And so you, we got to hold these loosely. And uh, yes, I, I, I want to be discerning of what others are doing. I, it's part of my calling as a pastor. And, and I've, I've had to put the brakes on things from time to time because it just did not resonate. I didn't feel God's Holy Spirit leading, leading me in this or leading me to support another person who wanted to do a particular thing. Um, but I always want to turn this back for me to be more concerned about me and what I am doing rather than what you are doing. Now, granted, it's a little different as a pastor, but... You know, if you're going to come to me and say, God's told me to, I'm going to do this, this, or that, then I'm going to say, well, God bless you. Go do this, this, and that. And, and let you and God work it out. Um, unless it's just something just so off the wall. And I, at times I've, I've dealt with situations with folks that were just so off the wall. So it was like, sorry, we're not going there. Uh, I even had a situation one time where I offered a guy 500 bucks to go start his own church. If he would just leave us alone. <laughs> you know, um, yes. <laughs> okay, I know you. You figured it out already, didn't you? <laughs> but it was like you know, it, Amos asked the question: Can two walk together unless they agree? The an, obvious answer to that question is no. Let me fix this. So, anyway. So I went back and, uh, anyway, so I always want to be sure that what I'm doing is in, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that I find out what God is doing and try to bless that. So, and I hope that's the case. And when I'm in doubt, what do you do when you're in doubt? I'll tell you what I do. You read the Bible. God, I, I tried that. Actually, I was not in doubt. I was, we were so convinced we were supposed to come here. We never even heard of this place until six weeks before we moved here. But we were so convinced. You know, we went to a place just prior to that, and we were also very convinced that that was not the place. Um, but there are those times that I'm not convinced. What do you do? 
Harvey says, I hold up my Bible and hit you over the head with it. No. Um, you read it. S- sometimes you wait. Sometimes you say, all right, God, I, 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 it, 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 it's, it's not going away, so I'm going to jump in. And I'm going to jump in with one toe. I'm going to jump. I'm going back to the faith thing again. I'm going to jump in with both feet. And you know what? If, if, if you were truly desiring to walk with the Lord and want to serve him, and if you jump in the wrong place and it's not his will, don't you think he's going to catch you? I mean, really. Is it the worst thing in the world if you get ahead of God? You know, is it the worst thing in the world if you do something or try to practice a spiritual gift that is obvious to everybody in the room but you that that's not your gift? Now, that can be embarrassing, but you know what? That's part of the growth. It's part of how we grow. And it's... So there's no clear-cut, dried answer. Tell Brian that. I still don't have a good answer for him. But... That's the best I got for that conversation. Are these things natural abilities or are they spiritual gifts? And how do we discern it? So then to move forward in that, um, some of the phrases here just leaped off the page as I was thinking about this where it says um, in verse... trying to find it here in verse 6 having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us or in other translations say according to the grace that he has dealt us what does the ESV have for that Dave okay in that case never mind (laughs) Um, anybody NIV has given okay so, it, what it is interesting because, we, and we, we talked about this a little bit, but I'm, this is where I'm, we'll get the prophecy next week, all right? All right I'll give me some more time to really think about it. Yeah. Why? That would bear that out. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Still not getting in the prophet thing yet, but anyway. um, um, So, yes, but I think it's also incumbent upon us to be in a place where, as Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts that were... uh, that were that you received upon the laying upon of hands by the presbytery, and so there's this idea that we're how do I want to say this? I think we come out pre-wired to a degree, um, but I I think there's a possibility that we can start mess messing with our own wiring. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about mindset of focus and, and what was the other one again? Um, genuine. Genuine, okay. 
Yeah. So, so I think we can we can start messing with our own wiring, but uh, and short circuit some things, which we probably all have done, except for Tim, of course. But anyway, um, well, <laughs> but what we're seeing here in in Romans twelve six is that he is the grace that he has given us or how he has dealt with us what he is how he has apportioned it to us and i almost thought about like at a poker game i don't play cards i don't play cards all right so don't but it, the thought just came to me because then you deal cards out right and but it really means uh, to assign something uh, to apportion something to someone um romans 12:3 it talks about uh for I say that the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, uh, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has, remember I talked about this idea of going back to the faith, going back to our belief in Christ and our trust in Christ, and all it is that we know about Christ to be the foundation for how we view the world. But then Romans tells us here that um, don't think more highly of yourself because God has dealt to each one of you a measure of faith. So it's been apportioned out. It's been assigned out. And kind of going back to what you were saying, um, a little bit at least, Clay, because I believe that as God reveals light to us, how we respond to that light will determine, I think, this is too simple, but anyway, we'll determine God's next move. Now, God, I think, is very persistent, all right? And if God gives us light and we don't respond, that isn't the end of the story. At least, I don't believe it is. But eventually, it, according to Scripture, I think it can be. But as we respond to the light he gives us, the understanding, the illumination, the idea of recognizing who the Lord is, as we respond to that positively, he will give us more light. And so that, that goes back to when you were saying that depends on when they receive that grace, right? So um, it's the same word that is used with Abraham in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, when he appointed or apportioned a tenth of everything he owned. So bad illustration, but it's as if God is divvying up the grace, but the thing is, is that every time he goes and gets another portion, he, 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 he gets it from a full container, right? It's not like, well, you were the last in line, so you don't get a whole lot. But nonetheless, he apportions these things to us um, according to uh, the measure of faith, verse 3. And this idea, it really refers to a quantity or a number, but it's also kind of in a figurative sense. Um, Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? I'll read it to you again. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift.
It could. Mm-hmm. But it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. How much we embrace it, yeah. But it's, it's also talking in context of the faith. In other words, that which is true, that the gospel story, which is the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, that Christ dies for us. And how much you embrace that? Right. I, I, th- I think there's some truth to that, but I also am poking holes in my own theory as I'm listening to you. Because and it's part of it how we measure. Because we think like moderns. How do we how do we evaluate? That's what I mean by measure. How do we look at something which is really the very beginning of this whole conversation that we've been having? How do you look at something and make a determination whether something is of the Spirit or not? And I'm not always sure we're totally qualified to do that. And just because someone has been given an incredible measure of faith or grace, it does not always translate in their fruitfulness. which to me is very mysterious. We think that way, don't we? We do. We think that way. I think we're wired to think that way. Our, our, our culture thinks that way. Um, I remember a, a, a friend of ours, we were living in Northern California, and they had a house, their family had a, actually a couple houses, I think, in Southern California. We went down to visit them, and she had made this chart of all the big mega churches that they were going to visit every night of the week. And oh, it's just going to be so great. And oh, the Lord's here. And oh, we're going to, oh, the worship is just wonderful. And just on and on and on about this. Because, and she was really attracted to all the bigness. That's why she doesn't live in a town like Sisters, Oregon either, right? But, um, but we often think that. Bigness is a measure of a larger portion of grace. And that may or may not be true. Notice I said may or may not. And I think that's not always the determin. I don't I actually don't think it's ever the determining factor whether we're to really evaluate what's going on with a particular church or a particular church ministry or even parachurch ministries, which most of them I can't stand, but that's okay. Um, actually, I think everything should be under the heading and under the, under the oversight of the church. I'm, I think very ecclesiastically in those ways, but that's just my opinion. Um, but I think, I think for accountability reasons, they should be accountable to a local church. But um, anyway... So it still is very it's difficult to determine these things. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm also a spiritual director. A couple of guys that I'm working with are staff pastors of very large churches. Very large churches. And um, I listen to them. Basically, spiritual direction, you're sitting down with someone, you're trying to, we do it over the internet, but you're sitting down with someone and you're trying to help them to get a better understanding of what God is doing in their life. It's basically it in a nutshell. And I listen to their stories and it's like, okay, stay in the game here, Mike, pay attention. But my, my thought is, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ, creator of heaven and earth, that I don't have their jobs, you know? I'm serious. It's like, wow. You know, and yet, I trust that God's using them in that context. Even if I don't necessarily agree with them theologically or like the way their senior pastor does stuff, I just trust that God's still using them. You know, and 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 just be supportive of what they are doing. I mean, they're, they're paying... Some of these guys I'm working with, they're paying a great price to minister to the people they're ministering to. You know, and so, um, so then this idea of, in verse 6, where it says prophecy, and I don't have enough time to get into prophecy tonight, but we'll start there next week. Um, but I do want to say that this word proportion is an interesting word because it's a mathematical word. The word proportion in verse 6. It's a mathematical word, word, but it it really refers to uh, each gift is accompanied by of of a distribution or a commitment or even a fidelity that's adequate for the person being able to implement their gift. In other words, if God has given you that proportion, he will give you the ability to walk in it and to exercise it. And particularly, in this particular case, it's prophecy. Which, just as a primer, there were a few in Scripture that were called to prophecies, or called to be a prophet of God, prior to them even being conceived. Which is something that you, interesting that you brought that up um, earlier. But in your case, that you mentioned that I know about, can I just, a little, just a little? Our brother's being victimized, basically, and being hit over the head, and part of the hammer that's using to hit him over the head is from a little girl, that they're using this little girl, and they're claiming this little girl's a prophet. Um, and it's nonsense. Yeah, and it's nonsense. But, and and I don't, I'm not going to talk specifically about it next week, but I, I, I want to revisit this idea a little bit of prophecy and then go on. But again, this, really, Clay, this is part of, and I, it, boom, I just the light came on for me. That's part of why I think we talked about what we talked about tonight, is, is how are we going to, as, as people of faith, measure and determine and interpret what's happening in front of us. We go back to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We go back to what he has taught, what he has proclaimed, what he has breathed into the life of the 
the apostles who wrote these things down to us, and those are the things by which we hold on to and that we use to interpret the entirety of our lives and what's going on around us. Amen? So, I'm going to end a minute early. Okay, let's pray. Oh, boy. Um, yes, ma'am. I would say yes. Jeff, let me, let me address this if I could, please. Um, I would say yes. I would also be a little uncomfortable with those who want to grab that mantle and try to use that as a means to direct your life, although a prophet can be a bit of a directing type of ministry. And remember when we were in Ephesians chapter 4, we talked about the fivefold ministries, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And I said that there were capital A apostles and lowercase apostles, but in this case, there were capital P prophets. We see them in both testaments. And there were also um, lowercase prophets, people who operate in the function. Incidentally, in the book of Acts, you have four women who were the daughters of, um, gosh, one of, the, one of the deacons, trying to think, all of a sudden my mind went blank, um, Philip. Philip had four daughters, and they were all prophets or prophetesses. So... Um, But it's in foretelling and foretelling. So, I what? I always get it wrong. So let the prophet tell. No, I'm kidding. But so, yes, I think we need to hold those carefully. I feel the same way about apostles, but even more so. Because most people who I know about who claim to be apostles, in my opinion, are not. But it's a different context in the 21st century than it was in the first century. Does that help? Maybe. <laughs>